Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help you things understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleep but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh? Yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the Christmas five minutes and you about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This is deep. Huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you started trying to reach. Huh? But after him who was able to possess your father by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Yes, sir, Mr. Lamont. Thank you for having me, and uh, happy Sunday to you. 
Oh, thank you for joining us, man. You know, I definitely appreciate it. Um, know that you definitely got a testimony, you definitely got a story, and you definitely been on your journey, this thing that we call life. Definitely. So, Definitely. so yes, um, I know I always like to start off the show, man, and, and, and give, you know, I guess the platform uh, a minute before, you know, we get in all these questions and stuff. Um, we know you're a, a successful businessman now, but let's go back to the beginning when uh, Rocky wasn't a successful businessman, you know, <laughs> so, so where you come from, man? You come from New York, correct? Yes, sir. I was born in the Bronx. Uh, kind of lived all over from there. You know, it's, a, it's actually part of the journey, part of the story. I was sent around to quite a few boot camps, military schools, different places and facilities all across the world um, until, you know, I wound up eventually uh, in Alabama State Prison where, uh, you know, that's kind of where the business plan that I actually made that I actually implemented and, and run successfully today is uh, that's where that business plan started in Alabama State Penitentiary uh, about seven, eight years ago. Do you think? Do you think? Uh, uh, well, you know, people always look down on people that's been in the system. You know, they they look down and kind of turn their nose up. But do you feel like that was uh, more harmful to you or more helpful to you? Oh, that's such a loaded question. So, I mean, it I, I, it made me who I am today. You know, I don't ever want anybody to have to go through those type of things. But you know, I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't go through the things I go through. Then, on the other hand. Um, I can give you a, an example, a personal example from this morning. I recently you know, was blessed to be able to buy my first vacation rental property. And when I'm going on to, you know, list my properties on uh, apps and platforms such as Airbnb, um, you know, they're they're denying me, you know, to, to list with them because of my my history as being a felon. So, you know, there's there's definitely things in society that, you know, that, that, that block you and stop you and hurt you. And that's just one thing. There's a number of every, other things from jobs to loans and things like that where it'll kind of hurt you or stop you or, or slow you down because um, I mean I'm not gonna it, it did honestly kind of hurt my feelings this morning when that happened but uh, I'm not gonna let right. it stop me I'm just gonna have to kind of learn to work around it but you're right society definitely uh, has a, a special place you know for, for people that have felonies and, and criminal histories you know whether it was just a small mistake uh, you know anything from just you know drugs or property crimes all that violence um once you get caught up in that system and your name is in it, it's very, very, very tough uphill battle to to get to grow beyond that and to make a life for yourself. Definitely, I didn't know I didn't know that they did uh, background checks on you in order to list the property. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't think that was a thing either. You know what's what's funny is I, when I first came to California with my business, I didn't really wasn't really doing that well, and I did the same thing. I was so excited, I was going to drive for Uber and Postmates and and Lyft and all these people. And they all did background checks on me as well. They all denied me for working there. And then Uber took it another step and then said that, you know, they no longer think I'm a safe person to be able even to ride in the Uber. So they canceled my Uber account to, 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 to get an Uber as a taxi as well when I applied for a job for, with them. So it's a crazy, crazy world out there. Wow, that's it. amazing. And it just went, while I'm listening to you saying what you're saying, I'm also thinking because I have a, a dozen friends that hasn't always walked on the right side of the street that, that had background checks and they didn't flag them at all. Yeah. I don't know. I've actually heard the same thing uh, from other people. And, you know, I mean, now at this point, point I'm at now I don't really need the, the Uber job, but I mean, back then when I needed it, um, you know, it was only four years ago, I really, really needed to have, you know, some extra income and everything happened for a reason. So I just kind of dove head first into my business and said, Hey, you know, if I can't get a job, even, like this, then, you know, it's time for me to, to, to work 10 times harder on my business, and that's what I did. So I kind of just, you know, let it go in the past. Um, but it's, uh, it's sad. I don't know. I don't know why I got flat. I didn't have any kind You know, I, I'm pretty open about talking about my charges. I had a distribution of controlled substances charge, you know, from 2009 in the state of Alabama, and, you know, we're looking at 2020 now, and it still, uh, still affects me in certain ways, uh, you know, as far as doing these normal things in society, like driving a car. Have you tried to get that uh, expunged or taken off your record? Alabama's one of the few states that don't have any expungement laws for that. I do have um, a pardon that I've been working on for years now. I think my father back then paid uh, a lawyer 
named Susan James in Alabama all, roughly $10,000 to, to do that for me. And I can't even get a, a call back or email back from her. So wow. my assistant, Miranda, she's actually, you know, works down there with pardons and paroles as well. So she's been trying to help me, you know, get, get something done. You know, I've, I've came a long way since then. And I've quote unquote, you know, paid my debt to society in prison with fines, you know, with everything else that I went through afterwards. And, um, still kind of stopping me from doing a lot. Wow. I'm just kind of blown away, man, because I know how society is and the system works, you know, and um, there's guys out there that have done a uh, hundred times worse things that you ever thought about doing, and they get a slap on the wrist and a small fine, you know. There's no, there's, they say there's justice, man, but, you know, it's no justice. And I tell people all the time, you know, if the man's no good, it doesn't really matter what his job is. It doesn't matter if he's a judge, if he's a doctor. It doesn't matter what his profession is. If he's a no good person, he's just a no good person. That's just what he does for a living. Exactly, exactly. You know, you have a lot of these guys and, um, public office, you know, and, and, and they're very judgmental, uh, prejudiced in a whole lot of ways and don't even know um, what you did, why you did, how it comes about you doing what you did. They have really no understanding on it, but they, they play God all the time, and it's, it's just a shame. So anyway, I'm going to move off of that one because that one's crazy, <laughs> I see it over and over and over again, and I'm kind of thankful that, you know, I have the show to talk about stuff like this, and maybe Definitely. somebody out there is, is listening and they get something from your story, and uh, hopefully they won't make um, uh, some of the mistakes that you did, but my mother used to always tell me that they didn't make jails for horses. <laughs> <laughs> what, she, what she meant by that You don't even have to be a bad person You don't even have to do anything wrong You could just be in the wrong place at the wrong time And you still can go to jail Exactly Exactly Yes. So anyway, you know, I, I was reading Man, here on uh, some of your stuff That that you've done had uh, I don't know A lot of injuries Um a lot of surgeries, operations, and stuff. Was was this all due to that other life? Um, I would say yes. You know, it's all it's all connected. I mean, at a young age, I think at um, eleven, you know, I started getting sent away to these these different schools across the world, and you know, away from my family. And you know, one of them, I think, even Paris Hilton uh, recently brought a lot of light to um, you know these schools that kind of kidnap kids take them away and you know all kind of you know abuse from mental abuse to 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 rape to child abuse to to you know all kind of traumatic physical events that happened there and um that's kind of that was my childhood from 11 to 17 so you know by the time I was 17 and getting into college um I was hard-headed tough you can't tell me anything I'm going to do what I want to do um and kind of dove head first into that lifestyle of you know partying drugs women you know all the above and um and I only lasted, you know, they they say that, you know, most of those people you see out there on the street, that everyone has a nice little run or a little small run, and then they end up in institutions, you know, jails or prisons or, or dying, you know. And um, mine was about, about four years, four or five years later, I started getting heavier and heavier into selling and eventually came across, um, you know, cocaine and started selling that, you know, quite heavily as well until I was uh, I was caught and I had a the federal and you know state and local task force uh, do a controlled operation operation uh, sting on me. Um, you know, in a couple short couple months after that, I found myself you know in prison and going through the system. I did almost you know a little bit less than a year off and on in jail. I did a couple years in prison, a couple years on house arrest, a couple years of probation, a year of like inpatient rehab. But all in all, it took you know a good a good nine years of my life dealing with it and getting past it. Um, so yeah, it was a, a lot of the injuries, you know, like the major injury I had when I, my jaw was like, you know, basically, uh, taken out of my mouth and I have, you know, wires and plates all through my face and my jaw and all, all but like four of my teeth are, you know, either fake or have caps on them. Um, that kind of came from just living in Mobile and, and being kind of like a, a person that people were very easily to get jealous of and, you know, being a brown kid as well. And, um, you know, these, uh, Two two white bouncers just kind of picked me up and threw me into a concrete sidewalk, 
and just kind of left me there and I had to, you know, go to the hospital. And uh, if you saw the picture where my face is swollen and my cuts are all over me, that, that was the, the picture of like the morning after surgery when the doctors kind of did their best to like piece my jaw back together. They said it was a jumble of bones and they had to, to do surgery. Like, I think it was an eight hour surgery just to, to try to get, you know, my, my jaw back to where it was. And so it was tough. Like I had, a, I had a good 10 or 15 surgeries, huge ones where I took bone out of my head, took bone out of my hip, you know, redid implants in my mouth and stuff and all that kind of stemmed from that injury there. Wow. I actually well, went to prison with that injury. And, uh, was that, uh, was that federal or state? It was state prison, state prison. Um, the federal task force, they were all working together, but the people that wanted to, that wanted me, um, it's kind of a longer story as well. There's a, a kid that took advantage of my sister and tried to like sexually abuse her and push her out of a moving vehicle. And, me and my friends came down and kind of beat him up from New York when I was going to college. We drove down to Alabama, and um, they wanted me to tell the, the cops, and the people wanted me to tell who my friends were, and I wouldn't tell them. Uh, so the kid that got beat up was actually a judge's son, and that's kind of when they started, you know, wanting to, to come after me for anything they could. And uh, so that's kind of how, you know, they, they kept it at the state level. They, they could have sent it to the federal level very easily, but the state level, Judges and, and officers, those are the ones that wanted me, and they wanted me to do do time in that, that Alabama State Prison, which I think on a federal level, I don't even think I've done, you know, like more than 10 months or something like that, maybe maybe less than that for a first-time offender and, uh, you know, controlled by for less than 3.5 grams. Right. So I'm looking here on your stuff, man. Um, was you involved in a kidnapping, or were you kidnapped? So I was I was kidnapped. What when I say kidnapped, it's uh, like so basically the the parents pay these corporations, these businesses, for profit businesses to come take their quote unquote troubled teens um, into a facility across the world or wherever they send them to, and you woke up you wake up with your hands cuffed, your ankles cuffed, um, and they escort you from your house, your parents' bed, wherever you are, uh, to these facilities you know that are all across the world. The name of the program is called the Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs. I believe they've since changed their name a little bit, their leadership a little bit, uh, but they're they're in operation today. There was actually a protest on Friday. Let me uh, ask you a question real quick, uh, uh, Rocky, um, and, and but hold hold your thought because I want to get back on that. But this kind of seemed like why wouldn't this be trafficking? Because your parents gave permission. Exactly. Like I said, it's a for-profit business, right? So they're very smart about how they make their contracts. Your parents sign probably power of attorney paperwork over and, you know, um, all kind of liability forms over to where, you know, these schools have full, they can do what they want to do. Um, so I, I, that would be great. I mean, I know a lot of people have sued these schools, and I don't think that anyone's ever tried to make a case on, on, on trafficking, human trafficking, um, because it was all done, you know, with the legal paperwork under a, a proper business name. And these businesses, you know, lobby and donate to, you know, presidential campaigns um, in the millions of dollars a year as well, especially the owners of these companies, you know, to make sure these child advocacy laws aren't able to be changed and they're able to, you know, still stay in business. It's a very profitable business. They take you to a school in Mexico where they, you know, it's a rundown facility. They, they, don't, they must not pay much at all for it. They don't hire professional uh, counselors or teachers or, you know, people that deal with this stuff. They just go out to the city, wherever they are, and hire high school graduates that uh, that want to be in a controlling position over kids. And, um, you know, who have, you know, we're all human. They have issues of their own, and, um, you know, they're in there trying to deal with, quote-unquote, bad kids. And, um, you know, it's, to, to, it's, a, it's really like a living hell on earth. Like, I've been to prison, as we talked about. Prison was basically a cakewalk. Was pretty, honestly, to compare them two together – I would say prison was almost fun compared to one of these places. Um, like actually, like prison, like I learned, I had fun. I got to talk to people. I got to use phones. I got to play sports when I wanted to. I had some larger degree of freedom. Uh, in these these schools I went to as a kid, they were uh, extremely regimented, extremely controlled. Um, you couldn't speak to the person next to you. Couldn't look outside of windows. Couldn't look left or right without permission. You know, you could use the bathroom at certain times. If you didn't, you got in trouble. The physical abuse from, you know, staff there, the people that were 30, 40 years old, three times the size if you was a 12-year-old, uh, was was ridiculous. On top of that, you know, like the sexual abuse and the mental abuse and not being able to contact anyone 
in the outside world and any letter you wrote, you know, was very heavily edited. If you said anything that they didn't like, they would, you know, rip it up and make you write it again. It was a uh, very, very crazy places that are still in operation wow. today. Wow. And that, that is some stuff right there, you know, and I hear stuff about that and kids, they just, they just feel lost and these people, man, they're so wicked and sick and they just, just totally just take advantage not to mention, exactly. you know, the the children that just come, go to these places and just come up missing. Yeah, that's it. And that happens a lot, a lot, a lot of the schools, even in the U.S. So, 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 Rocky, how how did you make it past that? How did you get through that? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I've always been a really adaptable type of person. You know, you put me in an environment, situation, and I kind of just. Like, you know, start getting to the point of, okay, what do I need to do to make it through here and get out of here? And um, it's not to say I wasn't scared. It's not to say that it's nice I didn't stay up crying and, 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 you know, just wondering if I'm ever going to have anything better or different in life. Um, a lot of that was by the grace of God, power, higher power, higher energies. It just helped me get through it and actually, you know, now 30 years later, fast forward, um, make me part of who I am and give me the ability to share you know, these things to other people and, and kind of motivate and inspire them no matter which situation they are in in life. Um, but I went to, I think, seven or eight different ones like this, uh, each one with varying, you know, levels of, you know, strictness. You know, military school I went to as well. It wasn't as, you know, controlled as that, but, you know, still a tough place. Um, yeah, I, I didn't honestly want back then when I look at my journals, I didn't think I was going to make it out of it. Wow. What is uh what is some of your worst experiences that you had there? So I remember one time I was um I was kinda sick and we have these half an hour a day where you have to watch these uh history documentaries or videos. And as I said that uh you know, we weren't allowed to speak without permission. We we're all sitting there on the ground watching this video about something about Doomsday or World War Two or something and February fourteenth these ships came into a harbor. And, you know, me being a kid, I was sitting there, I was like, oh, it's my birthday, February 14th. And, you know, boom, I spoke out of turn, out of permission, so I had to get sent to the first level of punishment, which is worksheets, which is where you sit on the end of a steel bench, the last four inches of it, sit up straight and write uh, paper back and forth, left and right, um, about, while listening to audio tapes. Um, and I was sick. I was really, really sick. I had, like, a temperature. I was sneezing, coughing. And I was, like, crying. I was like, can I please get some help? And can I go to the infirmary? Can someone help me out? And um, so the, the dorm father, which was, was what they call people that watch over you at certain levels in that program, got on the radio. So finally I was like, my, my God, like I'm going to be taken care of. Someone's going to come help me out. I'll go to the infirmary. I'll get some medicine, something. And instead of that, um, I felt all of a sudden like a total lightness, lightness in my body, just like I'd been lifted off the ground. And I had been. I'd been lifted off the ground, picked up on my right shoulder, and thrown into the wall behind me. Uh, by Jason Simonson, one of the admins there. And uh, he proceeded to kick me all the way down the hallway. I was, like, scuttling on my hands and my butt, just backward, trying to get away from him. And I got put into the second level of punishment room, which is called restraint and restriction, which is where you uh, get put on your stomach with your feet and your hands tied behind your back, facing the wall with your chin on the ground, and a fat guy, Mexican guy, sitting on top of you um, until they tie your hands up. In that position, you get only let up, uh, let one hand out twice a day to have rice and orange juice. And um, I don't know how long I stayed there, one, two, three, four days. As a kid, it felt like it was forever. But usually, it's, you know, between one to five days, they keep you there. Um, and that, you know, that was an early on experience for me. I had a couple other times where I got roughed up and played with and, um, you know, pushed around and made to do wild things. But that that's the one that really sticks out of my memory because um, – I was scared. I mean, this guy, Jason, he was a, a grown man, you know, big muscle-bound meathead, bragged about how he could bench three, 400 pounds. And, you know, when he was kicking me down the hallway, I didn't – every time he kicked me, I remember I just, like, stung and I was, like, hurt. And then when I got in that, that room, they don't tell you how long you're going to be in the program or any punishment. It's all very secretive and it's all very there to, to brainwash and manipulate you and, and kind of break you down. Um, as a 12-year-old, you know, like, I had dreams about that to this day even – um, you know, so that's kind of like one of the one of the biggest things as far as that school. It had, I don't know if like I, I don't I, I don't know if I blacked that part of it out or this, this part I don't remember as well, but I do know that 
um, other people face, like, actual, like, sexual abuse as well. But I remember I woke up in the middle of the night one night, um, and I smelled just a very, very strong odor of beer. And that night in particular, for some reason, the people that slept in the bunk bed next to me weren't there, and I was alone. And I remember waking up with my, like, shorts pulled down to my knees and seeing this guy towering over me. And I don't even know if I screamed or yelled or what happened, but um, that's literally the only memory I have of it. I don't know if I blocked it out or I just can't remember it. Um, but I have that memory very strongly, and I don't I don't know beyond that what happened. Um, you know, and these are like big big things, like the sexual part, the physical part, but the daily mental um, games and and you know waking up at two o'clock in the morning to go outside and and, and stand in the rain and count count down. Um, and you know, laying down on the ground with, with a female staff member who passed by and hiding our eyes and you know the, the extreme physical um, PT we did every every day out there and everything from telling a 12 year old he has to shave and shave his head is just uh, the mental and the torture is kind of like the the craziest part of it. Where was where were your parents at while you were going through all of this? Well, they had sent me there, right? They were at home in Mississippi, and I was. Um, you know, at the facility in Mexico. Um, and they didn't know, like, the parents don't really know. That's the best thing with these programs. Do They told my parents, you know, I'd have the best medical care. I'd have, you know, the best counselors. I would be riding jet skis and swimming in the pool, um, you know, during the days and then going to school. None of that's true. I never saw the pool. I never saw the ocean. I never actually even had a teacher. What we do is they would make us read a textbook, a chapter in a textbook, and then flip to the end of the chapter or end of the book, and then take that test from that chapter. Um, and then that's how you kind of progress through school like that. So it was basically just teaching yourself the textbook stuff. Um, and that's what so I do. So even they, now, like, there's... Yeah, they, they didn't allow any communication between you and your parents? Uh, no phone calls. We were allowed to write one letter a week, and that letter, like I said, is heavily edited. If we said anything that sounded manipulative to them, we told them, like, we were hit or we were hurt, this is going on, um, they would rip it up and make us write it again. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that's, that, that does seem like torture, and this does seem more like, you know, trafficking and anything and uh, child abuse and a whole bunch of other things that come underneath that. But um, it's definitely a blessing that, that you made it through and um, – you're in a place now, man, where you can help a whole lot of other people in a lot of different ways because a lot of people can talk to talk, but they haven't really walked the walk. And I know if you talk to somebody else that's out there in the streets, um, you know, selling drugs, taking penitentiary chances, uh, living that life, you could actually tell them, you know, um, what's in store for them because at the end of the day, they're, they're not going to win. You know, the little victories yeah. are basically momentarily, but at the end of the day, they're not going to win because once you get on that roller coaster that you call the system, you're not getting off that roller coaster until they get ready for you to. Exactly. And then, and like I was just speaking about in the beginning, it it's a, it's a mark that's left on you forever, basically, you know, unless you're lucky enough to get a pardon, expungement, and and fully restored everything. Um, like you see, like, Airbnb and Uber are giving me trouble right now. <laughs> After even it's been 11 years since I've been convicted, you know. So. Well, God, God got a mission for you. And obviously, that's what you're doing right now. I mean, you're able to help more people than you probably would had you not had those experiences. Because, like I said, if you talk to anybody else in your age group or you see that's going through, they're going to hear your story, man. They're going to hear the truth and the power in your words. They're going to know that you know what you're talking about because you've been through it, you know. And it's a big difference when you listen to somebody that's actually been through it versus when somebody's trying to educate you from a book. Definitely, 100%. So moving fast forward, um, you're got past all that that whole other life and what was the what was the last main thing that made you decide look i i i'm just not gonna uh do this thing no more i'm gonna jump over here into the entrepreneurial lane and start being this businessman that i know i can be so i, I kind of always had like the entrepreneurial mindset as a kid like i would 
I'll be that kid that would either trade baseball cards that would open up a lemonade stand on the corner. I would go cut grass and stuff like that. I mean, as I got older, it moved into more like illegal things. I, I had saw an opportunity of you know being able to buy you know weed in Mississippi for five dollars and sell it in Alabama for twenty dollars. Um, you know, I, I did the same things at different schools I went to selling other substances. And then when I got in college, you know, I started doing the same thing, except, you know, I'd go to spring break. I'd sell hats and perfumes and colognes and shoes and Jordans and this and that. Uh, so anything I could do, like, you know, to, to make money and, and to to make it on my own terms type of thing. Um, you know, afterwards I got out of prison, I kind of got back into the same lifestyle pretty quick. And um, obviously me and my dad used to always butt heads. It was tough for us to, you know, relate and, and talk especially for me to him. I never liked listening to him. But um, one day he came to me after prison, and he came to me kind of really as a friend, like humbly, and just like, hey, Rocky, I know you're out of prison. All your probation is done. You haven't been living at home. We haven't really been hearing from you too much. You haven't been asking for money or anything. And maybe you should maybe you should just get out of here. Maybe you should, should go somewhere else. And um, you know, I'm not usually – I didn't used to always listen to him, and I, I'm, I'm not sure even – if I was totally listening to them then, but something came in me um, and said, Rocky, like, it took me one night to decide. This was, I think, 2012 or 13, November 3rd. Um, he asked me, and I thought about it, and I said, yeah, you know what? The girlfriends I had at that time, the, the lifestyle, the circle I was in, hustling again, the identity I, I created for myself, who I thought I was, the dope boy, party animal, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, I left it all behind. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was scared. I was worried. I was, I just knew that I didn't want to do this anymore and I want to do something better. And I left and I went to India and spent, you know, close to nine months there. In the beginning, I was just living on a farm, living clean, you know, withdrawing from the stuff that I was on and doing my best to like not answer questions from friends and just kind of stay disconnected and, and figure out, you know, what I was about to do, you know, as a, as a felon with no job history, with no money in his account. Um, you know, what am I going to do? And um, eventually I, I came up on a little one-page business plan that I had written when I was in a prison in Alabama and for hair extensions. And I was like, you know, let me let me do a little research on this. And, you know, bought a vehicle out there, started going around to the manufacturers, to the distributors, to the markets, to the, to the resellers, and researching about it and talking to them. And eventually I made a Facebook post. And all my homegirls from high school all hit me up like, "What? Like you have hair, Rocky? Like you know, hit us up. Like we'll we'll definitely we'll, we'll definitely shop with you." And that's when I made the decision. I formulated a company, and I haven't looked back since. Um, you know, that that was six years ago, but and I've had plenty of ups and downs, uh, plenty of backwards tracks, plenty of struggle, plenty of pain in between there. Um, you know, but but eventually it all kind of all came together and. And uh, I'm here now, and, and now the biggest thing is like when I do recognize, because we're all human, we all make mistakes. We're all going to have you know upwards and, and downwards progress. And I recognize when I'm when I'm moving backwards now very fast, and if I'm moving to a circle or a situation, or even a mindset that that doesn't serve me, I can see that very clearly now and, and kind of stop, pause, reflect, back up, you know, get back in touch with myself and my heart, and um, start making the decisions that I need to. Um, in between that time, you know, I had another issue come where I had an ex-wife or a wife I was dating. Now my ex-wife, um, you know, we had a lot of problems and you know, I was a little more immature then as well. And, um, you know, when, when me and her split up, it kind of made me work even harder and made me want to, you know, do even more and, and better in my life. And that's when I, when I started meditating, doing yoga. So I quit eating meat. Um, I stopped listening to music and, and TV shows and, and movies and, all little small distractions, you know, society and of life that, that really don't serve any of us as humanity um, and, and really started focusing on putting positivity and, and good things inside my brain and feeding myself with that as much as possible on a daily, and I still do that to, on a daily basis, you know, whenever I can, um, you know, even on a drive, you know, to, to the office or, you know, while working out or while going on a walk, I'm, I'm filling my mind with, with positive energy with people, you know, Wayne Dyer and Joe Dispenza and you know T.D. Jakes and even like Denzel and and uh, you know Jim Carrey that do motivational stuff you know and, and, and speeches on on YouTube and different platforms and you know um, that's really really helped me because I always wanted to find a mentor or somebody to help me directly and I felt like I just couldn't find it so I had to to make my own and and that would that my own you know ended up being all these different. Um, you know, amazing souls that, that put their content out there to, to let us hear it. 
So I kind of take in from all of them, take little golden nuggets and tips and advice from the books I read and continue on a daily basis to keep implementing good things and positivity in my life, uh, which has, you know, got me to where I am now. And and I said this yesterday, I believe, when I was talking to somebody on a Facebook post is I still kind of am like a baby, um, you know, in in my growth and my my business and my spirituality and everything. Um, But I love it. Every day I get to learn something more and get to practice more of it, of sharing even here on the show with you and, and your listeners as well. Um, it's also a huge part of my growth and my healing, uh, being able to do this. So. Powerful, man. It's some very, very powerful stuff. Well, I want to say to our listeners, if you just joined the show, we're talking to uh, Rocky Sinch. Uh He's talking about his life, his story, and his success. And we actually talking about his hair business as well. If you'd like to ask some questions, and this really goes out to the females, if you ask to like some answer some questions, you know the call in number is six four six nine two nine twenty eight seventy. Press number one on your phone. Let us know you're there. We'll be glad to let you in and ask your questions. And I know Rocky can tell you about that hair thing for real. Don't be shy. One hundred percent. So Rocky, I like the subtopic we have today. Um, change your mindset to change your life. Let's, you know, we just touched on that just a little bit, man, but let's speak on that just a little bit more because a lot of people, you know, they always know what the problem is. They always talk about the problems, but they have less solutions for some reason. Definitely, definitely. And, I mean, that's something that's kind of I've been planning in my mindset even with my business is, is you know, I don't really accept uh, excuses anymore. And instead of even taking any time to look at the excuse or think about it, we start – we start shifting our minds to, to, to be solution-based and solution-oriented, um, you know, those solutions do come up. It's not always easy. Sometimes they're tougher decisions and tougher choices to make. But um, if you focus too much on the problem, um, you're, you're taking away from the time you could focus on the solution. And that's, that's where mindset comes in. It took me a little bit of time to understand this, and, and now I, I know it, you know, truly in my heart that, um, you know, changing the way you think, changing the way you frame things and, and the way your mind actually um, looks at things and situations and things that happen to you in the world around you is so powerful. You know, we, we I truly believe that we do create our own realities, and um, that starts with the way you think about it. You know, 10 years ago, five years ago even, sometimes I was still getting in fights, getting pulled over, um, meeting the wrong people, getting sucked into things I don't need to be in, um, until I started really changing the way I think and changing the way I feel about, you know, myself and, and my mind and what I, what I want. And I no longer um, have those issues. You know, I don't. I don't get into situations that are that are tough and bad. It's a, it's a vibe. It's an energy. But that definitely starts from from you, from within, from what you're thinking about, what you're concentrating on, and what you're putting your energy into. Um, so I even used to laugh at it in the beginning, like this. This is not like this is crazy. Like you don't just think a little bit differently and things start changing. But you know, I encourage anybody out there listening, um, whether you're an entrepreneur in business, whether you're sitting in prison or on, on the way to going to prison, um, you have complete control over what you decide to think about in your mind. You, you do have control for that. You can reframe what you're thinking about it. It might take practice. It might take like me feeding myself with, you know, YouTube videos and cutting out any kind of music or, or TV show I was listening to or any kind of person in my life that was not aligned or conducive to that type of lifestyle that I was, that I was looking to create for myself. Um, but it's definitely true, and you can definitely do it um, no matter who you are. Um, so I think that that's a, that's a huge thing. I, I got this, like I said, from you know Robin Sharma, Wayne Dyer, Ralph Smart. A lot of these people talk about this a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I also encourage people, you know, if you're listening and you're curious, don't just, uh, don't just listen to us. Don't just take my word for it, even though I'm telling you and I, I know it to be true. Um, get out there and, and get on YouTube and, and, and put some of this uh, information into into your mind and, uh, you know, take a step back from whatever it is your identity is, your circles are, your your favorite, you know, music and, and TV shows are, and allow yourself to be to be cleaned by this and to be healed by it and start implementing it into your life, uh, you know, day by day. It takes time. Like, healing isn't a race or a fast-paced, linear type of thing. It, it takes ups and downs, it takes understanding, and it takes a constant constant progress and work, um, but that's not something that anybody um, cannot do. I, I believe everybody can do that. Uh, and like you said, it starts with the mindset. It starts with 
what you want starts with being sick of anything else that you want to be with and, and wanting something more and believing that there is something more and better. And then, um, you know, putting that in your head and start working on it on a daily basis. Yeah, and that was another powerful jewel, man, because that was definitely my question that could come was how, what did you implement, but you just laid it out so eloquently. I can't even ask that question now because you told listeners exactly what to do to fix the situation. Because there's so many, so many times, man, people don't even know how to get out of their own way. Exactly. And, and and to me that's that's simple, but it's not simple to a lot of people. How do you get out of your own way? And if they looked in the mirror, truly looked in the mirror, I think all and each and every one of us, you know, we know what the issue is. And a lot of times we even know what to do about it. We just don't take that next step. Exactly, exactly. And that that step is so important. I think like like you said, like the the ones that us take and look in the mirror and that we know what it is like that is kind of a first step but um you know don't get stuck there don't get scared face those fears you have of letting go you know whatever you think you are right now and understand and believe that you can you can do anything you want to do and you know what what is it that you want to do um and and start implementing that it uh it takes time it takes time it takes effort you know to face yourself like i remember even six nine months ago especially when covid started I quit smoking weed, and, um, you know, a lot of times people, you know, that I know as well, we use substances and, and things like this and addictions to, to kind of cover up and to kind of blind ourselves from having to look within um, because it's painful. It hurts. I, I spent a good couple months, like, pulling my hair out on the couch, sitting at home alone, like, just crying randomly, being upset with myself, you know, back and forth. And, and eventually, you know, it came to a point where when I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to cry. I would kind of laugh and, and be like, "No, oh, Rocky, like you know, like you, you're getting past this. You're 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 finally, you're not masking your your mind and your brain, your clarity with a substance. You're 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 facing it direct and head on." And I didn't know I was, but I was slowly starting to heal just by by doing that. And um, it's a very powerful thing. I encourage anybody out there, even if you think that you know you're just a smoking weed every day casually, um, take a step back from it. I don't know. It takes a couple months even. I haven't smoked uh, regularly since, you know, February. I've had, had a few times here and there. I've taken a couple of puffs, and after I gave myself a lot of time to get it out of my system and really think clearly and really, you know, build myself. Um, but anything that we do on a daily basis, you know, we think that we're in control, but, you know, those things control us. And um, you don't want to control yourself to the point where you're hiding um, your emotions and masking things to where you can't really face it and you can't face yourself. Because uh, once you do it and you go through the pain, you realize that it was all part of the journey. It was all necessary. And now you're moving on to a new phase and a new beautiful chapter of it uh, where you get to be in control of the things that you know you control. And that's it's your life. That's your mindset. That's the decisions you make of what to put in your body, of what to put in your mind. And, you know, from there, the possibilities are, are actually, you know, endless. So I'm working on so many things right now. Um, and I get overwhelmed at times, but I know, you know, how to, to take care of myself and step back and relax for a couple of days and, and, and then go right back into it uh, because I did face myself. And, you know, I did face the down, dirty, ugly parts and and really got real with, you know, what I was doing and, and how I was, like you said, getting in my own way. And, um, you know, once you get out of your own way, there's there's not too much else that can get in your way. The, the small things like for me with Uber and Airbnb this morning even – I got, I'll get it taken care of, you know, so I'm, it was a little bit disappointing, but I mean, I'll definitely get it taken care of, you know, because I'm not, I'm no longer in my own way stopping it from happening. It's just uh, paperwork or, you know, finding a shift or a different route to go around it and make it work to make it happen now. It's no longer Rocky, the one, you know, stopping me or limiting me or telling myself I can't do it. Um, it's just small, small things that you have to do as part of life. You know, and it's funny too, because, uh, because of that situation, man, it just might not have been meant for you. It might just been meant for you to do bigger and better things. Exactly, exactly. It's always a positive, man. We just it takes us a minute, some time to see it. You know what I mean? Because especially when you're going through a situation where you feel like I didn't turn my cheeks so many times, I don't even have any cheeks left. You know, and and then. Um, I think that's what take people to, you know, the alcohol or to the substances and stuff like that. And, 
you know, because you're just trying and, you know, you're working, you're trying, you're working, and you're just getting slapped this way, that way. And then society today doesn't help anyway no more. They Everybody's into their self. Even though they say they're not, they are, you know. Very few people that, that really are going to be there, you know, when you need them. And the ones that you need, you don't even have to tell them that you need them. If they're close enough to you, they kind of see and kind of know, you know, what you're going through. I mean, the real ones anyway, the real friends. Exactly. And, and friends are a big, important topic. I think I've, I don't know who said it, but many people have. the Show me the five people you spend the most time around. I'll show you, you know, your future. I'll show you the person that you are. And, for me, what I've learned in my life is that I used to be the person that wanted, you know, 30, 40 friends around all the time or invite everybody over into my house. I thought I was just, you know, really amazing, popular person that had all these great friends that cared about me. When I went to prison, you know, um, nobody really wrote me anything. I had a couple of random girls send me pictures, and that's it. None of my homeboys, none of my good friends are there. And now, you know, in my life, I have, I think I would say I have two two best friends, and one one's in Korea, one's in America. Um, and we stay in touch, um, and I'm happy with that. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm in L.A. I don't really have many other friends in L.A. I have some acquaintances and business people, uh, but it's not something that I'm that I'm any longer, you know, torn up about. I don't feel lonely. I know that I have great friends, amazing friends um, that that we are, that are in touch with me and that that know me and that know when I need a phone call or a touch base or just you know to to, to vent um, and chat with them, and, and they're there, and you know I'm there for them as well. We don't need these huge circles of, you know, close friends. We just need one or two people that are good people in our lives that, you know, that care about us, that we care about. Um, and that's really all, you know, all, all we need is uh, just that. And another thing, you can't look for them, man. God send them to you. Because sometimes when we go looking for stuff, we find all the wrong things. I agree. I feel like when you're looking for something like that, you're kind of putting it out there that you're lacking it. You know, like you know, as soon as you start putting that energy out there, it's like not having a lacking. Um, you know, that's kind of more of what you attract. Uh, when you just, you know, get better within yourself, like I did, I spent a lot of time alone, a lot of time. I told you, you know, just just crying, just kind of feeling like I was losing my mind a little bit, but I was, you know, in reality healing and, and going through it. Um, you know, shortly after that, you know, everything else, you know, kind of came to me, and I realized, you know, I have, you know, I have Sean, I have Nick, I have my my best friends. They're they're there. They're you know, there are different places in the world, but, you know, they have been through the thick, through the thin, through the, the good, through the bad, you know, for, you know, 15 years plus, both of them, so. Yeah, definitely a powerful story, Rocky. Let's change the channel real quick, man, because I know we started out talking about you being the hair guy. Let's get back over that, man, because I know we got a lot of female listeners out there that definitely interested in hearing a little bit more about your hair business. Definitely, definitely. So the reason I kind of came into the hair industry when I when I started researching it, I saw um, we used to call um, my my cellmate's uh, sister and friend from prison on a snuck in cell phone and talk about you know what's going on in the market, what's like what what do we need to do, like how can we be successful? And the biggest thing we heard is like, man, there's just there's so many scammers and there's so many people that lie and aren't being real and not being transparent. And I was like, wait, that's that's kind of natural for me. I can I, I like I mean I'm I'm a real person. I'm gonna be real. Let me go ahead and start operating this business in that sense. And that's what I do. I give small business owners, stylists, salons, uh, girls working from home, guys that do hair, the ability to to efficiently and, you know, confidently run their businesses, know that they're been, knowing that they're being backed up by a supplier that is not only connected with them 24-7 in any way they want to, but also, you know, is transparent in what he does in his factory and, and travels back and forth to India to make sure he's able to maintain that quality over time. And, um, you know, the small team I've built, we're very close. We all know each other for many, many years. Uh, Miranda, my chief of staff, I actually met in college. Um, and they're very aligned with uh, the transparency and openness and the connection that, uh, you know, Hair Man India brings to the table uh, for all of our business clients. Um, and that's that's an industry that's riddled with misinformation and scammers and you know downright liars and and bad product um, that is so important so necessary. Uh, we all work hard to deliver that on a daily basis to all of our wholesale clients, all of our business to business partners. Um, you know, I have girls in the, that I've worked with for years now that were even you know going to law school and you know 
getting on this corporate career where they would be in these nine to five jobs where, you know, they didn't really feel aligned with doing that, that have, you know, let go of those pets and, you know, started, you know, working with us. And uh, one in particular I'm speaking about just, I think nine months ago, bought herself a brand new Mercedes. Um, She's in the showroom at least once a week, you know, picking up new orders, uh, doing, you know, amazingly well. And um, the reason that some businesses fail and some succeed are, are there's tons of reasons. Um, but we at Hairman India give you all the tools and the team that you need uh, to be backed up, to move forward, to, to confidently run your business the way you want to um, from wherever you want to in the world. And that's, uh, that's the value that we add to the middle. So, Rocky, so basically you're operating more so as a, um, a supplier of uh, hair that comes out of India? Exactly. We supply, like I said, small businesses, larger businesses, stores, um, stylists that you know do hair from home. Anybody and everybody. So, for me, that don't really know anything about the hair business, are there uh, different types of hair that you supply, or is this hair that come out of India uh, a specialty product? Uh, it's definitely a specialty product. People, like I said about the misinformation, that people think there's a Brazilian hair and Yaki hair and mink hair and, and this and that. And that's kind of what the market did to segment and confuse and you know, increase profits in a lot of ways. And what we do is that we have our hair direct from the temples, uh, segmented into two different qualities, which is a North and a South Indian quality. Uh, one is more raw, one is more rare, one is, you know, easier to bleach, um, but we don't, you know, kind of dip down into that level of mixing hair, of adding synthetics in, adding fillers in. We keep our level and our quality high there, uh, which, you know, is, it's, it's a tough business because, you know, we have, to, we have to compete with these companies that say they have the same thing, uh, when in reality they just they, they don't. They, they are basically increasing their bottom line um, and making tons of money off of, um, you know, bad products. And they operate on a, on a system such as this, like they uh, they know for a fact that 30% of their clients are going to be unhappy. Um, they know that. They know that out of that 30%, maybe only 20 will actually reach out and say something and want money back. They know out of that 20% that maybe 10% will actually go through and initiate a refund process. And out of that 10%, they know that they'll fight it and that they might win or they might lose 5% of that. So it comes down to those numbers, and they say, you know what, we can keep the hair quality very low, keep the prices, you know, where we're making a lot of money, and if that 5% that we get disputes and chargebacks on, we can't win it, that's part of our uh, business model. You know, and for me, that's just not something that's, like, you know, a, a good – the karma behind that is just – to me, it's not – I don't want that on my shoulders on my plate at all. I'd rather give a good quality product, make a little bit less money, but make more connections. And in the beginning, I didn't have many clients. Now I have so many clients. Um, but you know that, that the profit margin doesn't matter as much because I'm doing so much volume. Hmm. Well, that's what happens when you come to become successful and and providing a good service. I mean, basically, that uh, um, speaks for itself. Well, Rocky, tell tell everybody, man, how they can get in touch with you, man. How they can get in touch with your product and all that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. So, like uh, like I said before, I'm very transparent. I'm open. I don't. I like handling. I'm very connected to this business. I love what I do. Um, I am a real person. You can reach out to me directly at my you know, cell phone number, which is 228-596-5678. Um, you can find me online for my business. is uh, hairmaidenindia.com, and that's spelled uh, maiden like your mother's maiden name, so hair, M-A-I-D-E-N, and then india, I-N-D-I-A.com. Uh, we also are on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, everything, uh, everything out there uh, with the same handle, Hair Made in India. Um, me personally, uh, my name is Rocky Singh Candola, and uh, my website is just rockycandola.com. Uh, all this information is very, very public, very, very easily searchable on Google. And I kind of joke and say I'm pretty much one of the easiest people in America to find. So you go to the, go to the Google search bar, type in Rocky Singh Candola, type in Hair Made in India, uh, you're going to have the direct correct connection directly to me uh, and my team as well. So, what do you got for bald headed people, Rocky? Man, I got the full setup. I got the full setup for bald headed people. We got the lace glue, the blue glue, men's toupees. We got them with uh, microfiber as well as lace. 
I guess you're looking looking just how you want to look again. Well, you know, because usually when we talk about hair and stuff, you're usually talking about uh, stuff for females. So uh, in case there's some guys out there that might want some hair. A hundred percent. And I, I, take, I, I actually take people on tours to India as well. And this is something I always want to do. I still haven't got to take anyone on a medical tour yet. Uh, but the, the medical aspect of the tours I'm doing in India is, uh, you know, these drugs in America, say hep C drugs, hep, hep, like drugs of hepatitis C. I think the course to, to get, you know, for in America is somewhere around $80,000. Um, in India, I can offer you something like that for closer to $10,000. Um, as far as hair transplant surgery here in L.A., I looked up, you know, anywhere from 5000 to $10,000, depending on what you want. I actually had a hair transplant surgery done on myself. I, I posted it on my personal Instagram um, I had it done for less than a thousand dollars. A LASIK eye surgery, I had it done for less than a thousand dollars with NASA approved technology that they wanted, you know, close to four or five thousand here in America. Um, so what I can do for you on that basis, men, women, anyone wants to go out there for medical tourism, um, I take you hands on. You fly in with me. I make sure you stay at the right places. I make sure you eat the right food. I make sure you're safe, and I make sure you have the best medical possible care out there with you. I'm very hands-on when I handle these type of things and businesses, um, and I'm very well researched. Uh, not only because I, you know, my father and my family is medical out there, and I've lived out there, but as I said, I've also done these surgeries myself. So you know, I know exactly what the ins and outs of everything is. Wow, that's some good stuff to know, man. I'm sure some of our people are gonna be getting that with you because I know the hair thing is a really, really big business. I hear people oh, yeah. talk about it, you know. I hear different women talk about it, you know, getting their hair done this way, that way, and um, the pieces, and I'll be trying to figure out what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue, but I, I, I listen anyway. I listen anyway. Yeah, it's a deep industry. There's a lot, a lot of stuff that goes that's involved with hair. So I think it's a $27 billion a year market. Uh, wow. Huge, huge, huge. Tons of different options and, and things inside of it. I would have never thought that. I would have never, ever, ever thought that by no means. By no means. So, what's next in store for you, Rocky? So, yeah, I mean, uh, the business is going well. I'm always going to be connected to it. I, I love doing what I do, I love helping other businesses grow. And, um, you know, as uh, as I'm you know on the on the podcast with you, I really want to start because this kind of stuff, like I told you, it helps me heal, helps me grow. I've always had this thing of wanting to help people, inspire people, and um, you know, change things. And my my next steps, as far as me personally, I would like to do more of this, especially when COVID is done. I'd love to be able to fly into a, a school in a small city that you know doesn't have opportunities to get you know talks like this and hear about people's stories and and, and find experience and, and hope and strength from it. I like to do that all over the world. Um, I'm writing a book currently, which I'll be releasing, uh, you know, shortly as well. Um, that'll coincide, you know, and, and talk about the same types of things. Um, as far as Hairman India, we're growing and scaling every day. So um, it's almost an autopilot. I almost get, I, I was actually blessed with a team good enough to, to allow me to do more of the speaking, more of the writing. Um, and that's what I'm getting into because that's really what fulfills me and fulfills my heart. Uh, you know, we do have other products from shampoos, conditioners, the hair gels all coming out as well. Um, everything is just kind of moving really nicely and fluidly and, and smoothly. I'm actually working on a, a master class right now uh, to teach people about the hair business. My girlfriend and I is, are helping me out with that. Um, and we'll be offering that course, you know, maybe in the next couple months as well so people can really have a platform and a, and a base to come to, uh, structured to learn how to, to start a business, a hair business, without – Cause the biggest thing in this business is no one wants to help you. You know, I'm, I, I look for help in the beginning. No one is there to help me. Rocky, um, and a lot I, of people want, out there. I don't want to cut ahead. you off, man, but I need to jump in down here because we're in the last 40, 50 seconds of the show, man. I definitely want to thank you for coming ah. through, man, and, and, and open thank the doors you. so you can come back through anytime, man, because uh, I definitely like your journey, your story, man. I think a lot of people can learn and benefit from some of the things you've been going through, and I know you're going to be successful, continue to be successful, and uh, I hope we can get to talk again soon. Definitely. I would love to. Thank you again for having me. Oh, man. Everybody, 
If you miss some of this show, you have no excuse. Ask your mama, ask your daddy, ask the band to live across the street or the guy that work at a gas station. You can hear the show in its entirety worldwide on all the platforms in about two minutes. I appreciate you. Go check out Rocket. He got something for your head, you know, and let him know that you say, oh, you got it from here. Love you. See y'all next week. Hey, I'm Savin Gavia, and you are now listening to Can I Play a Play live every Sunday at 2.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Make sure you check out these good fellas at www.facebook.com forward slash play Hello?